pray for you? Just pray for me, Lord, to deliver your words to us and to help us get closer and closer to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. This is not a sermon. It is a talk about Christian love and following Jesus. I've been thinking a lot about how to put your Christian faith into practice, into daily life. We want to follow Jesus, his words and deeds and his love. So in a particular situation, what do you say, how do you decide what to do? Let's say a colleague comes to work looking rather sad. Do you approach him and say, well, is anything the matter? Or you've seen the ambulance in front of your neighbor's house, like I did, and would you go there and say, can I help? Is anybody ill? Or if you get an invitation to join a protestation in London from Just Cut Oil, would you do that? So there are all kinds of situations where you make a decision. And how do you decide what to do? Well, you can say my conscience decides for me what to do. I've had a long discussion on the phone with Simon about this, and we will talk about conscience later in the groups. Is conscience God-given? Yes, some of it. In Genesis 3, verses 15, the Lord God said to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. His offspring is evil and we are Eve's offspring. So God's gift to man is a natural aversion to evil. And in the Greek of the New Testament, conscience is called synesthesis which means God knows with us. We know, but God knows with us. But conscience is also influenced by other factors, by parents, school, culture, friends. Now, there was a young German pastor called Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was an assistant pastor, pastor in the German church in Barcelona in 1928. And he felt that there was a need for Christian ethics. So he started to think about it and make notes. All his life he did that. He made notes, he talked with other theologians. And after his death, his friends published this book, Ethics. Bonhoeffer says, conscience is man-made. Instead of listening to your conscience, you say, what would you orientate your conscience on Jesus? So what would Jesus do? In a particular situation, what would Jesus do? Now, on the sheet I gave you, there are some texts. So the texts I use, we haven't got them up there, but I think you've got to read and listen at the same time. That doesn't work. Um, there are the texts which I use. So in a particular situation, what would Jesus do? So you think about Jesus' teaching, for example, the Beatitudes. In Luke, 
um, the first, I don't know what which, if you, love, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those whom you hope to receive, what credit is that to you? But love your enemies, do good, and lend expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father was merciful. But some of Jesus' commandments are hard. For example, in Matthew 6, verses 3 to 4, But when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your alms may be done in secret. And your father, who sees in secret, will reward you. Well, it's impossible. Of course, my left hand knows what my right hand is doing. But I think Jesus means something else here, and that's in Luke 18. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now, you know the tax collectors, they worked for the Romans, they took too much money, they were hated. Uh, the Pharisee, standing by himself, was praying thus. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like the tax collectors. I fast twice a week, I give a tenth of my income, but the tax collector standing far off would not even look to heaven. But he was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. So Jesus' commandments are really hard. There's the story of the rich man who wanted to inherit eternal life. Uh, that's in Mark 10. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were perplexed at these words. But Jesus said to them again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. They were greatly astounded and said to themselves, then who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, for mortals it is impossible, but not for God. For God all things are possible. I was thinking about those words of Jesus when I was going to meet someone who I didn't like. I prayed the evening before and asked for the Holy Spirit to help me meeting this person in a loving way. We got on very well and ended by giving each other a hug. And so we come to the second subject of this talk. And this is from Mark 10, verse 46. They came to Jericho. And as he and his disciples and a large crowd were leaving Jericho, Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the roadside. When he heard it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. 
and Manny sternly ordered him to be quiet. But he cried out of him more loudly, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stood still and said, Call him here. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he's calling you. So throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. Then Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, My teacher, let me see again. Jesus said to him, Go, your faith has made you well. Immediately he regained his sight and followed him on the way. So Jesus shows respect for Bartimaeus. He asks him what he wants. Similarly, and this is in John 8, when Jesus was teaching in the temple, the scribes and Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and making her stand before all of them, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. Now, in the law of Moses, commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They said this to test him so that they might have a charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And once again, he bent down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the elders. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus straightened up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, sir. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go your way, and from now on do not sin again. What I like about this passage is that the, the older people left first. <laughs> And also Jesus answered. Very often when they put a question to Jesus, it is as if he hasn't heard the question. He gives an answer, but it doesn't quite fit the question. And also I would very much like to know what Jesus wrote in the sand. <laughs> so Jesus shows respect for people. And this is in the discussion group when we talk about conscience, we also will talk about that. So following Jesus means showing respect for people, even if there are failures. Paul writes about Epaphroditus, a failure, to the Philippians, welcome him in the Lord with all joy. So you've got to ask yourself, what does this person mean for the Lord? Jurgen Klopp, Liverpool manager, shows respect for his players and the fans. But, can you respect people who lie, who are not honest and open? Jesus accused the Pharisees and the teachers of the law of hypocrisy. But, the other person is a child of God. So the great commandments are, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. You have, respect, you have to have respect for yourself for your body and for your mind. I read about compassion fatigue. This is a new diagnosis. But I, I don't think you should sacrifice yourself to help others. You have to love yourself, and then you can love others. But some children do not receive love, and they cannot 
love later in life, and some develop self-hate, like the fighters for Islamic State. And this is very sad. I heard John Bell when I was in the Abbey about the Beatitudes, and he says, the poor in heart, they say the good in everyone. They see the face of Christ in everyone. This is quite hard to do. Remember that when you want to be friendly to an unsympathetic person, that this person may feel threatened. You enter his terrain, where maybe painful memories are buried. Now the last text is this. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on, on the throne of his glory. And all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at the left. And then the king will say to those at his right hand, come, you that are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family who did it for me. A few weeks ago, we had here Guanira of MIV and she talked about the least of these. They are members of God's family, children of God. So Christian love has depth because it sits in the deepest part of ourselves. It has breadth because it will encompass more and more people. It has length because she endures a person's entire life until the end. And it is height because she reaches to God himself. And now we will have about 10 minutes and go into groups and try to talk about conscience, respect, Christian love, whatever you want to. And then we'll have a little bit of feedback maybe, yeah? And I will ask people to give some... Hello. thought was that, um, sorry, we're all made in God's image, which means we have a conscience, but we need to grow that conscience by developing a strong relationship with God. And over time, we will 
learn to understand all of that better, but we need God's input into our conscience in order for it to be fully functional as he intended and to guide our steps. Um, we, we talked a lot about conscience at the beginning, a little bit like the first group talked about, that um, what is the difference between a Christian conscience and a conscience maybe of, of other people in the world and how the Holy Spirit changes your conscience and you see things differently. So I think we talked a lot about that. We, we kind of started with Putin and ended with nurses, but in between <laughs> we talked about that. <laughs> <laughs> now I come to this wonderful group of young people. Uh, who's going to Peter? Well, we spent quite a bit of time just talking about who we were, <laughs> so we introducing ourselves. Um, yeah, different sort of things in life, uh, very much sort of in circumstances where we are running businesses and as you were saying means getting on with people who we perhaps don't really like <laughs> and um trying to uh uh yeah trying to sort of um uh understand what jesus would do perhaps in those circumstances uh, and and uh basing our life on that and we um, personally i was sort of saying i very much liked in the situation of Jesus writing in the sand that, that, that he was sort of sat there listening, you know, until the very end and then came out with that very profound saying. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, I think conscience must be, uh, as you said, a, another gift from God, mustn't it, that, uh, that everybody has. Um, but if you you're a Christian, then you have the Holy Spirit in your life, and he. Uh, what, what does he do? He he energizes that conscience somehow. Um, yeah. We d we didn't actually talk about that, but that that's just. That, well, I don't think we did. No, no, no. But that's just. Okay. Thank you very much. <laughs> I'm here. Yes. Right. Well, we we talked about conscience and. We agreed that conscience is a gift of God, but that conscience can be affected by, by the fact if we sin and continue to sin, then our conscience is not so sharp and we can come to a point where our conscience is dull and it, it doesn't help us at all. But we also saw that as Christians, the, our conscience is to ask the Lord to give us the, the right spirit within us so that we can tell what is right and what is wrong. So basically, it was a question of, as Christians, we have the law to go to, to um, give us a right sense of right and wrong, and what is right for him and what is right for us. Thank you very much. Katie? Jonathan? I think it's already been mentioned what I was going to share. So I think most of us are probably in agreement with what uh, conscience is all about. 
I end with a prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for Jesus, for his teachings and his encounters with people. We ask for your Holy Spirit so that people may see Christ's face in us. Amen. Amen.